0: This is Jets at Noon with Cameron Poitras on 680 CJOB.
1: Eric Stahl said a couple of days ago that this group needed you but he said he thinks you needed this mm. group as well. I'm wondering what you think about that, and maybe you could talk a little bit about this, what this season has meant to you on a personal level after leaving Winnipeg.
2: Yeah, it's, it's not after leaving Winnipeg because i still got a big chunk of my heart there and a place on the water. Um. <laughs> <sighs> I like to fish, that's why I said that. Okay, Eric's a really bright guy and intuitive Um, So there would be a handful of things that I think I'm pretty good at, or at least I had a pretty good handle on what this team needed. And that's just from years of watching teams kind of try to go from, and this is true of the Hartford Whalers to Carolina there in the, in that run, you know, hadn't made the playoffs in a long time and get to a point that they're pretty good. And then in Winnipeg, kind of the same thing, there's a progression these teams go on and there's a threshold of skill that they hit and when they get that threshold, then they get real happy with it and they play that game, and why wouldn't you, right? They get to that 24-, 25-year-old they're making plays, and then the playoffs hit, and it's a completely different game.
3: Interesting comments there by uh, head coach of the Florida Panthers, uh, Paul Maurice, uh, yesterday following uh, the game one win, 5-2, uh, following that that one to to Vegas. Uh, game game two is going to be going today. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I I really thought those were real insightful comments from so Paul Maurice, in reference, of course, his his affinity for the for the city and the province, and still has a place here. That that's not a surprise. I mean, he said so, and I don't think anybody thought that he was uh, lying or, or or trying to mis you know misrepresent himself or something like that when he talked about how much he loved Winnipeg and the province. I mean, that's a given. But I also think there's a little bit of tidbit of information in there too, as well, Jim Toth, um, about. Uh, The state of the Winnipeg Jets and how the team 24, 25, starting to gain success, starting to figure things out, settles into a style of game that brought them success when they were 24, 25, 26. And then the playoffs come and then the game is a lot different. And perhaps that's an issue that the Winnipeg Jets, I would suggest something they've been facing with all the way up to this year and perhaps could continue on next year as well. So
1: that doesn't surprise me at all. And I know a lot of people keep digging and digging and digging and digging into this, but I think it's become more and more abundantly clear that there's a a player mix issue in Winnipeg. And I'm the ones, one of the ones that believed in this. And and I I think that when you have this much skill and this much talent, you keep, um, you know, trying to find ways to augment it and get the most out of it. Mm -hmm. That's why, again, I had them beating Vegas in this first round and making a run just because, They've had this experience of 2018, 2019. They've had all the playoff experience you could want. Yeah. They went to a Western Conference final and were the better team and got goalied. The next year, they lost to St. Louis in the first round. Then they lose in the bubble. Then they beat Edmonton in a sweep and then get swept. Like, they sort of encompassed all that. And it, yeah. I thought you could ex- put all that experience into a bag and and, and get better and make a step. All those comments did, Cam was reminded me of 2020. In 2019, the Jets went to the playoffs against St. Louis and lost 4-2, and that was the series that I think they gave up leads or tie, or gave up, yeah, leads in the last five to ten minutes in two or three of the games in that Mm. series. So the next year, we're at training camp, and we had a one-on-one with Paul Maurice, and he said this both on the air and off the air in a discussion I had with him after the interview was done. And I was asking him about playing... Um, Dustin Bufflin so much, and he said, "Yeah, I played Dustin Bufflin too many minutes this year." And I go, "Well, I get it, because Tyler Myers only played eleven games." He goes, "No, I just I can't run him that hard, whether Myers was healthy or not." And I said, "Well, what what's um what did you see around this?" He goes, "It wasn't playing Dustin Bufflin It wasn't you know that we gave up leads late in the end." He said, "It all started in November," and he goes, "If you'll remember." that's the that's the november that this past november but if our mm-hmm. listeners will remember Patrick Line had 5 goals in St. Louis. Yes. And he said that november we were lighting it up every game and Line was getting three or four everybody was scoring everybody was having fun. And so we got through november and we're in a pretty good spot and then december came in and he said I started seeing it creep in and by january I was talking to the team about getting the behind-the-back passes, the blind-seam passes to the front, the the fancy hockey, even the two-three-on-ones where we're overpassing but we're scoring on it, out of their game. And he mm-hmm. said, from January to the middle of February, my coaching was preaching with our team, you can't do that in the playoffs. You will get burnt. That's not playoff hockey. It's not sustainable. And he said, I just I couldn't get it through to them. I couldn't mm-hmm. get the message through. And he said, by the time we went into that St. Louis series look at our last five to 10 minutes. We're turning pucks over. We're behind the back passes. We're being too fancy. And he said, I'm not coming down on them. I get it. When you have skill and you can score, who doesn't like scoring? But trying to teach them when they're literally Laine putting five goals a night in a game to stop playing that way is hard.
3: Remember, I remember back in that November, uh, it was twenty eighteen. Just as you mentioned there, Laine scored eighteen goals on fifty four shots. He had a thirty three point three percent shooting percentage. That was percentage.
1: November. He said we were everybody was lighting it up. Yeah, and everybody was doing things that were working overpassing behind the back. Behind. yeah, look, what do I? What's my number one complaint? The blind behind the back pass. Yeah, it, with this team. Yeah. And so here we are, four years later, three years later. Yeah, outstanding game against Vegas in Game One. Mm-hmm. What happened? Like I, it just it it's it's a team that to me always felt like to to be better has to score more. Yeah, why did they have a great start to this season? Because they defended well.
3: When things were struggling, you heard that from Mark Shifley. The best way that I can help this team is by scoring. We, we, we hold possession He's always been in the offensive zone. We cycle the puck. You find me, you, you know, sitting behind the net, sitting in front of the net, find me behind, behind the net, keep the puck moving and score, right? So when
1: I hear those comments from Paul Maurice today, it just took me back to that conversation at yeah. training camp after the, the, the loss in the series to St. Louis. And that was the year the bubble happened. They went mm-hmm. to Calgary, had those injuries. Um and then after that, they swept Edmonton and then got swept. It's, it's,
3: it's funny, Jim, because you're still hearing from Paul Maurice about this team, isn't it? Like he just – and there's always been that conversation surrounding Paul. that Oh, he just speaks so eloquently. Oh, it's – he speaks a lot. And, oh, he uh, he puts a spell over people and the people that he's speaking to and, and all that Media, sort of – Media is sort of,
1: taken in by how fancy oh, and yeah. eloquently he talks.
3: He's, what he said there – over a year removed a year and a half removed from being the head coach of this team he spoke about exactly the same issues in a different way that what Rick Bonus was saying the lack of pushback um you you're not going to be able to win games all that all the comments that we heard from Rick Bonus particularly from February on it's exactly the same It's It's exactly the same.
1: And this is why when people say why, and I was labeled for a long time, still am. I'm still hearing it every round that the Florida Panthers win. I still get the gears on social media about, oh, Maurice lover and defender. And I'm like, (laughs) Paul Maurice has been trying to get this team to defend and play a 200-foot game for years. And that's why I'm not a defender of Paul Maurice. He had his issues like the room and, and you know how it got away that the, the, the players were running it a certain way and, and him, his freedom of being a player's coach and all that. But no one's ever going to convince me because I heard him say it years ago, they need to learn how to defend. And I think now that you're on your third head coach, and I think that now that you're on your third head coach that got them to defend for two or three months to the point that they were in first place in the West and then the defending stopped. And again, it's what Paul Maurice, you should run that again at the end of this. Yeah. What he spoke about how he gets it, right? That's what he literally told me three years ago. I get it. Who doesn't like to score? Mm-hmm. But that's not how you're going to win in the playoffs. And you will go nowhere in the playoffs if you don't learn to stop the fancy passes, the skill. It's not that they want to derail your skill. It's that they want you to not rely on it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That, that that's the, That's the entire situation. And it's... How, how, how difficult is it when you have guys that are finding success to sort of dial things back and say yeah. like, listen, well, that's what he was sp- yeah, speaking about, yeah. like 18 goals
1: in a month, five mm-hmm. in one game. How do you sit down and tell Patrick Line that this isn't good hockey? Mm-hmm. This isn't going to, he's looking at you as a 21 year old, 22 year old, 20 year old going, what are you talking about? I just scored 18 goals in a month. What are you, and I'm not saying this is what Line A did, but I could see as a 20 year old why you go,
3: What are you talking about? This isn't good hockey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And here's that clip. You know what? I'll play it again here, Jim. I'll uh, just tee it up here. Here we go.
2: So there would be a handful of things that I think I'm pretty good at, or at least I had a pretty good handle on what this team needed. And that's just from years of watching teams kind of try to go from, and this is true of the Hartford Whalers to Carolina there and the. In that run, you know, hadn't made the playoffs in a long time and get to a point that they're pretty good. And then in Winnipeg, kind of the same thing. There's a progression these teams go on, and there's a threshold of skill that they hit. And when they get that threshold, then they get real happy with it, and they play that game. And why wouldn't you, right? They get to that 24-, 25-year-old they're making plays, and then the playoffs hit, and it's a completely different game.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm in the NHL. I'm scoring 80 points, 90 points, 70 points We're a year. Games, first place in the Central. And you're telling me that's not gonna. It, I mean, it, it's the same it, conversation I used to have with yeah. Ed Tate from the Free Press. Like Dustin Bufflin was leaving one summer, and he was pretty heavy. It was a year he hurt his knee, and he was yeah. pretty heavy and stuff. And uh, Ed was like, "What do you think his summer will be like? Do you think he'll, you know?" And I said, "I don't know. Like I, I don't know what the conversation with du- Dustin's are and stuff." And he goes, "I, I don't get why he doesn't, you know." just sort of be an elite shit and stuff. I go, I'll tell you why. And I don't know this. Cause I didn't yeah. ever talk to Dustin about this, but I go, you're telling a guy who has $50 million in the bank, a Stanley cup and a couple of all-star picks. What you're doing isn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and, and I know like, what mean. this is how you could do it better. And you cannot. You, I can understand why an athlete or anybody would go. What are you talking about? This is going pretty well for me.
3: So we're speaking about things in 2018. It's now 2023. We're coming up to the 2023-2024 season, and the exact same issues are ongoing. I, that is so fascinating, Jim. We have to take a break, but that is so fascinating that we see the exact same trends creep in in February this year when this team is in first place in the Central. Yeah.
1: And I'm already like, thinking, uh, I'm watching the Senate Cup Final on Saturday, and I'm thinking, you know, in two to three years from now, Paul Maurice with this Panthers team is going to wear thin.
3: Yeah, of course. Uh, 100% he will. There's no doubt about it. And it's like, does there need to be more evidence accrued that there needs to be significant changes? And we're going to talk about that. It's Ellie.
1: brilliant that he knows, like, they needed me at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Like two years ago, he might not the messaging might not get through. And two years from now it might not. But at this time, this is a team that had some playoff failures and needed me at this time.
3: We're gonna talk about all this. Jacob Staller, he's a writer with the hockey news, he's gonna join us. He wrote an article about about buyouts. Is Blake Wheeler a potential buyout candidate for the Winnipeg Jets? Uh, he also wrote a piece about Brad Lambert mid last month, but it's really prevalent. Of course, uh, Lambert falling short five nothing defeat to Quebec in the Memorial Cup final as a member of the Seattle Thunderbirds. But uh, he's really impressed people when he's been playing with guys his own age. What is what sort of his trajectory? What are people saying about him? And Elliot Friedman made comments. Uh, you you may have caught them between periods during Game One uh, on Sportsnet about. Winnipeg knows it's going to have to listen on some key players. We'll talk about some more of those comments from, from Sportsnet insider Elliot Friedman as the show goes on. Lots to get to in Jets at Noon. Don't go anywhere.
4: Jets at Noon on 680 CJOB. And cooling rate off with a high of only 27 degrees. Right now, 29 at 680 CJOB. Let's get you over to a couple of guys who also couldn't send emails this morning. It's Jets at Noon. I I that. Being, what did you just
1: say? He thinks he's being funny with only 27.
4: That was kind of the the game plan there. That's like six degrees cooler than the average of the last like four days. I still think it's pretty I warm. I also got the Wednesday afternoon tea time, so I'm not choked about it. Not too bad. Yeah. Where are you going? Bridges Golf Course. Mm.
1: Was I supposed to send you an email today? Is that what you're re- referencing? No,
4: I, well, if you, I'm, I'm sure you guys don't listen to me do the news at 12.30, but I did mention that uh, Microsoft Outlook had some issues I was Wait a minute. suffering oh, through.
1: You do the news at 12.30? I just thought you just
4: joined us. No, once. I don't just pop into the news booth, <laughs> oh. read the weather, and, oh, okay. and chin that's with oh. us. That's
1: what you're
3: doing
4: in there. Oh, yeah. I
1: just thought you came in, and I hope five these guys put me I gotta on. i to pay the bills somehow, I'm just like,
4: boys.
3: what is he doing in there for five <laughs> why minutes Why does he every always want to come on it, our show every day? Why,
4: why are his lips moving? <laughs> What is he talking? Here comes Peters anything. again, <laughs> trying to get on the show.
1: You're actually working. I didn't know that.
3: Well, it's nice to know you're putting in some hours. Good oh, for I'm you. trying my best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's okay. like old school when the cheese got out of the garbage bin. Good for you. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You're working. That's great. Thanks, Skylar. Skylar, we'll be, yeah, be back at 1
3: o'clock. He does the news here on 680 CGOB. Let's hope his
1: email works. Yeah. Um, I'm going to email him right now, see what it says. Yeah,
3: getting some text messages, 204 780 seven eight 204-780-6868. Uh, 204-780-6868. Uh, this texter says, in January, did the Jets stop defending or did opponents learn to defend against the Jets? That's from uh, one texter. Another one uh, here says, uh, very true. Coach Bonus seems to lose the handle on the team somehow in the spring. How come? Well, I, I, the team was doing good. Brad habits crept in. Losses piled up. That's what happened. That that's that's one hundred percent what I what I believe I mean, happened with this team. Like
1: this is the thing, right? Like we always sit here and dissect it. And um, yeah, I I know what a cliche is, and I know when we're not being spoken to, and um, I, at least I think I do. I have been around long enough. Um, Rick Bonus nailed it on. Like he, we're not doing this. We're not doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, Maurice would say it more eloquently, but if you listen to what he was saying, it was pretty direct. Uh, and I I think he's right. Like there was no pushback, right? Like yeah. uh, the the thing that I think would haunt the team, uh, this summer is when Rick Bonus referenced at the end of the season that it I he said when they're number one to have pride in that that there's a target on you now. Yeah. So the, what I took from that is you have to be better than you've been. Like keep getting better. Don't sort of go hey we're in first and teams are like and to Rick's point is just that. Columbus is coming for you. You have to show up against Columbus. Columbus isn't coming in here and going, well, they're six points ahead of us in the standings yep. overall, and we want to try and beat them. They're coming in going, you're number one in the West, and we got to beat you. Yeah. And I say Columbus because they're awful. So that's Rick's point of there's a target on your back now. Yeah, you're in first have some pride in that have some pushback for these teams that want to take out the number one team in the West.
3: Yeah, you put a target on your back. You're going to have to work that much harder to to maintain it because that's what you want to have. You want to have the target on your back. You don't want to be scrapping and call on like the Winnipeg Jets were at the end of the season trying to get into the playoffs. You want to be a team that's, that, that's already in there. But, anyways, that this,
1: Columbus game in Winnipeg was.
3: I, I didn't even know what I want to talk about <laughs> it. I was like moving on from when you were bringing it up. Not, but and,
1: that's the definition of we just think our skill is going to win this.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? This all brings up to changes for the Winnipeg Jets. And to talk about that, writer with the Hockey News, Jacob Stoller, uh, joins us right now. Jacob, thanks for, so much for joining us.
0: Absolutely! Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Welcome, Jacob. Good to have you.
3: Yeah, and I was just reading your article, and you can find it on the Hockey News. Um, I actually was reading it last week, and I said, oh, You know what? I'm gonna get, I'm gonna bring J- Jacob on here because I, I I really enjoyed it, and it was focused on about uh, buyouts and potential buyouts here in the national in the National Hockey League this off season, and at at, at the very bottom at number five uh was was Blake Wheeler for the Winnipeg Jets, 55 point season. Uh, you know, not, obviously, not a terrible one for for a guy who's 36 years old, uh, turning 37 on August 31st. But but why did you list Blake Wheeler as a, as a potential option uh, or one of the top five options that you see as as sort of targets for buyout?
0: Well, first off, Cam Jim, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I listed Wheeler because I don't think he'll be a Jet in 23, 24, and further to that. There's no trade market for him. So if you trade Blake Wheeler, who again is 36, yeah, he has a 55 point season, but anyone that watched Blake Wheeler this year would attest to the fact his legs are declining. He's not really the same player that many have come to know from Blake Wheeler. So if you take 50% of his contact retain at the Jets, it's a hair over four million dollars. I can't see many teams that would want Blake Wheeler on an open market, saying, "Okay, we'll take Blake Wheeler at four." Million dollars. And then from the Jets' point of view, would you rather, you know, have Wheeler on your books at $4 million for one year, give up an asset instead of buying him out, which would be a 2.75 million cap hit the next year, so like 2324 and then 2425? It spreads out the sort of cap penalty. And, you know, obviously the next year, 2425, he wasn't supposed to be on the books, but you know, paying 2.75 is a lot less hefty than, you know, this year paying $8 million, you know, 9% of your cap on a guy like Blake Miller declining. And I think that, you know, if you look at sort of Trudor's track record, love them or hate them, they do, quote unquote, they do right by their guys. So I think yeah. that the buyout is kind of the amicable thing, right? You've already taken the captaincy from the guy, right? You've already done that kind of thing. Of course, they want to be able to celebrate him in a couple of years when he retires. I'm sure they want to keep him around as alumni. Mm-hmm. Blake Wheeler, love it or hate him, you know, he was proud to be a Winnipeg Jets and they don't want to, I think, fracture that relationship. So I think you buy him out, you let him go to know, Minnesota or, you know, another team that maybe brings him in on a $2 million-a-year deal, whatnot. And I think that's kind of the route you see happen. And I think also, you know, further to why he won't be a Jet, they took away the captaincy to, quote-unquote, spread out the leadership responsibilities. And then it's funny because at the end of the year, they were saying, well, you know, wheels was still our leader. Mm -hmm. And then it's the funniest thing too, is if you want to foreshadow that you look at the comments Wheeler made, um, once he did that press conference about losing the captaincy, you know, he said, I don't need a leader. I don't need a letter. Sorry. To be a leader, which is fair and granted. So I think it just kind of points to if they want to actually quote unquote restructure the leadership group, Wheeler's got to go.
3: Yeah. I mean, I Jacob, I agree with everything that you're saying, but I also in at the bottom of your article you say fearlessly loyal when you're referring to the Winnipeg Jets and and a yeah. guy like 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 Blake Wheeler in in terms of how long he's been with the organization. He was here when the team came from Atlanta. He gave his best years to Winnipeg. He he had he's had some some great years and never taken a shift off. See, like, I I understand, like, where, I, where I'm coming from is I struggle to see this organization with the ownership and the management in place buying right. out Blake Wheeler for, for like, as as, as rational and laid out and, and, and as much as I agree with, with what you're saying, I, I, I just keep going back to that line you put in there, fearlessly loyal, and, and that kind of makes me take a step back and wonder if the Winnipeg Jets would even have that as an option or something they would sign well, off on.
0: Well, the counter to that, the counter, count I think that the yeah. fearlessly loyal part Plays into this. So let's say Blake Wheeler and Chevy sit down this summer, and they kind of come to or and Chipman, I'm sure, is going to be there. They agree, okay, you know, I let's move on here, right? And I think that Blake Wheeler's quote-unquote paid his dues um, for the organization. I think that if he wants out, and you know, they agree divorce is possible, that's where I think the fearlessly loyal thing factors in, where they'll eat, you know, some cap. They'll take a cap penalty next year just to kind of. Facilitate this thing because I don't know if if it's true that they're going for a retool, remake, whatever word you want to say to avoid the word rebuild. Mm. They have to make some serious changes. And the longer that Blake Wheeler is there, and I'd honestly throw Mark shesley into that camp, but let's we'll see on the Wheeler part of it. Um, things aren't going to change, right? Josh Morrissey, you can't expect him to step into a captaincy role. I think the same with Adam larry I think that a lot of people like Blake Wheeler in that dressing room there may be things they don't like, but the point is no one's going to step over him to do that. And I think also for Wheeler people, it was probably tough this year for him. You know, I can't imagine for I'm sure there's a lot of difficult things that go into that. And I don't know if he wants to go through another year of it. I don't think the Jets want to do another year of it either. So that's where I kind of think they say, okay, you know what? We'll do right by you. We'll give you, you know, a buyout. And just keep in mind, the only other buyout they did was Mark Stewart, who I think also falls into that loyal true North Sol- soldier kind of camp as well.
3: Yeah,
1: he is the only buyout candidate as well. I think they explore all their options on this, but I'm, I'm not sure you're too far off. The two-point-some million for two years mm. is a lot better than – I mean, I keep going back, Jacob, to the, the Ryan Suter and how the Minnesota Wild paid him $7 million to beat them this year in the playoffs. And um, I, I think that that's something they will look at as opposed to retaining like half the salary – and uh, paying him four million dollars to play somewhere else, I think they'd rather just buy him out, let him do what he wants to do, and then mm-hmm. take the two million hit. But I think they explore other options prior to that. But it's a great piece and great points by you. Uh, let's talk Brad Lambert and uh, his season and the great piece that you wrote on him about a month ago and and how he performed the Memorial Memorial Cup because uh, uh, he was outstanding in the playoffs.
3: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. No, totally. It's funny because you know Brad Lambert, he might have the weirdest development path. That is so true. true. Yeah. That is so true. When have you ever seen a guy get the TSM feature at 15 as the next one? He's playing in Liga at 15, 16, 17. Like I don't even know if he had puberty then. And then you're, you're not even really playing because, you know, those pro levels, the best guys are playing. So, But he still goes in the first round because of the raw talent that you see with him. And this year, he's great in the preseason goes to the AHL, which was good there, but, you know, clearly undermatched. And then he goes to Seattle and to a powerhouse team, probably one of the best, if not the best, that the AHL has seen in years. And, you know, he goes down, loves his great run, the Memorial Cup. It's just bizarre on a lot of fronts. But for the Winnipeg Jets, what Brad Lambert's done in his draft year plus one is extremely encouraging. Because, I mean, you know, credit to them, because they took a swing on him at 30th their overall, their second pick, as you shouldn't do, especially when you have two first-round picks. And then, you know, with Brad Lambert, I, I don't, I'm not someone that say I know him overly well, but I, as someone that interviewed him with the Moose at the beginning of the year, and then later in uh, recently, and then, you know, seeing him in Winnipeg around his junior teammates, the guy got to be a kid again. You know, he for years and years, he was this young guy on the older teams, always focusing on the details and, and the things he gets to do to play in a structured pro environment. And with that, he wasn't getting the puck touches, he's not getting to be the guy. And, You look around the league, everyone talks about, oh, they're too good for this league, that league. Players being offensive players in their formative years, getting to be the guy for their team and be a top contributor is so important. If you don't get those reps and you're not weaponizing your skills on the ice, all of this is just – chatter of how good we are. you got to actually see it. Even if they're the best at that level, everyone is too quick to rush players. Mm-hmm. So for Lambert this year, he took a step back, but really it's a step forward because he goes down to Seattle. And I talked to Matt Odette uh, and Bill LaForge, the, the head coach and GM of Seattle. And one thing really stuck out to me. I don't even know if this made the piece. I don't think so. But Odette was saying that there's a lot of like-minded people on that team. And what he meant was that was a star-studded team. Dylan Gunther, you know, spent half the year in Arizona um they had so many endless amount of draft picks, draft picks Kevin Korczynski. and a lot of them were you know pushing towards the same goal and similar parts of their career and when I saw Lambert this year uh at the at kind of life you know on an off date much different demeanor just around the guys and you saw with the moose and it just it almost seemed like there's a weight off his back and in talking to him it seemed that way as well and it's almost like it, it you know, if he had stayed with the Moose, I think he would have found his stride a bit more. But the problem there is you're also he's also adapting over the North American Ice surface, right? So there were so many kind of things there that he had to figure out. But going to Seattle, like what you've seen from him this year in the playoffs, Brad Lambert has looked like the player that everyone hopes Brad Lambert's going to be and why they're excited when they draft him. Yep. The raw speed, the, the fearlessness in, in attacking the zone entries and exits. You know, everyone loves Ehlers, and I myself think he's a great player. Brad Lambert's raw ability and just wants to project to be if all goes well, most mm-hmm. external factors figure, them out, figure themselves out, is a similar player to that in the sense that you have a player that can take you from point A to point B, from the D zone to the O zone effortlessly. And that's massive. in today's game When transition is such a big part of it. Lambert has all these tools to kind of be a grade A player for the Jets. Now, I should preface, Brad Lambert is a bit away from the NHL yeah. player. Yeah. I think that the the, the – The most counterproductive thing would be is if next year they rush him, right? Not saying they would, but that would be kind of a disaster because I think he still needs some season the HL. Yeah, you know, it's a grind. Eighty-two games. But yeah, yeah Jacob, and I,
3: and I think I think that's sort of the thing that gets lost here is that transition to the AHL. I don't think it's given enough respect because it's kind of seen as a minor league. But the competition and that sort of leap from junior—I mean, he's been playing with men, but it's 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 a lot more complicated because you can see the competition. In the AHL is perhaps better than some of the best pro leagues in Europe. Anyways, Jacob, we're gonna have to leave it there. Jacob Stoller, writer with the Hockey News, uh, speaking about Brad Lambert as well as Blake Wheeler. Uh, Jacob, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it, man. Okay take care we'll talk soon all
0: right thanks guys have a good
1: one thanks jacob all i right. agree with that let him yeah. let him start in the a with how we did in the dub and go from there
3: don't rush him don't rush him on the other side of this hey elliot friedman made some comments saying winnipeg knows it's going to have to listen on some of its players connor hellebuck mark shifley uh pierre luc dubois what else did elliot friedman say well i'll tell you Right after this, Jets at noon on six eight CJOB. Welcome back, uh, Elliot Friedman. On Saturday, headlines between the periods of Game One on Saturday. Said this quote: Jim Toth, Winnipeg knows it's going to have to listen on some of their key players, Connor hellebuck Mark Scheifele, Pierre Luc Dubois mentioned, and he went on to say, "I think the Jets have made it very clear that this is not going to be a rebuild. They are not tearing it down, and they're not starting over again." Obviously, there could be some futures as part of these trades if it happens, but they've got a lot of good players on term contracts that they want to support. They're looking for players. If they make these deals that can help them right away, not just futures, this won't be a rebuild. Again, he said that the core could definitely. However, he did say the core could definitely shake up.
1: Yeah, we've been saying that too. And and I I mean, we didn't have the confirmation on that like Friedman does and gets. So uh, it's awesome. But I just, I don't, um, I've had so many conversations with so many fans of the Jets and listeners over the, since the season ended. And I keep reiterating the same thing. Um, You're not like, to me, you have three pieces of land in Hawaii and you don't have to trade it for pieces of land in Northwest territories. Mm Mm-hmm. Nothing against the Northwest Territories. But my point to this is, is you can move something for land, uh, beautiful property in Hawaii for something in Arizona or Florida. Yeah. Like it, you're giving up quality assets. Now, are, are the Jets being forced their hand? Of course they are. Yeah. But people will want these players. The list of teams that want Connor Hellebuck include Carolina. And like, that's what Frank Cervelli's piece is. But yeah. We'll talk about, I've, yeah, we'll get on yeah, that tomorrow. I've always said that. I just, if you're, there are teams that will want Mark Scheifele. And if you can't get the deal you want in Montreal, then another team will want Pierre-Luc Dubois with no further commitment than $7 million for one year. Yep. Colorado, Carolina, Boston maybe. All contending teams will go, I would love a 70- to 80-point guy or a 40-goal score on my team for $6 million
3: for one year. Especially in this cap market right now, Jim. Like, I mean, I understand Blake Wheeler, I mean, 55 points, turning 37. Last year they couldn't move his contract cuz they didn't want to retain salary and that there's yeah. a good reason for that.
1: Carolina but just that's traded That's how
3: cap crunch it's been. That's Carolina how cap crunch just the league traded is.
1: for Max Pacioretty and injuries that didn't work out. But you're telling me they wouldn't be interested in Mark Shifley for 1 year at $6 million?
3: Jim Toth's going to take you all the way until 3 o'clock. Thank you very much, Jeffrey Forche for producing the show. Hey, check out the podcast. If you missed any part of this program, you can find us on iTunes, uh, Spotify, anywhere you find your podcast. Jets at, like the email, like the email at, at noon, you can find us. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I'll be back same time tomorrow. See you. Happy Monday. Jets at noon on 680-CJOB.